You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. You would think with all the technical stuff that I do that I'd be better about it but for myself, but I really am not. It's also nice to hear that I'm not passive-aggressive. So you guys remember Clay, right? So Clay, one time, oh man, it was so funny. Um, he looks me straight in the face. So Clay and I have a relationship, so I had left the South Side, then I came back, and uh, Clay was kind of like mentoring me at the moment, kind of training me in worship, and he, he looks at me, because I was just being real passive-aggressive. I was like super passive-aggressive, and he goes, John, passive aggressivism will never advance the kingdom of God. And I was just like, okay, well, you know what? That's, that's my answer for the day, so I can't really compete with that. And so I, and then one time I tried to be passive aggressive with him again, like just try to, try to make like a snarky comment. The Lord literally shut my mouth to where I could not speak a word against this guy. And I was like, okay, okay, I guess I'm going like to have to deal with that again. So I appreciate being called very direct. I'm sure my fiance can say that I'm very direct right? I'm the cause of a lot of arguments. So uh, it's not a good thing to boast about. I should probably only boast in Jesus, but one day I'll figure out how to not um, be, I don't know, super direct. That's not really direct. So, I mean, we'll figure it out. So uh, anyway, so like you said, I'm John from the Southside Vineyard, uh, 26 years old, receding hairline, just kind of all you need to know. Um, (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But uh, he told me that like this is Kingdom Life Night, and so I've been through the School of Kingdom Ministry. I've, I've been through Wednesday nights. I actually teach our Step 3 class at the South Side, which is all about Holy Spirit. And so I grew up Baptist, and my parents taught me like gifts weren't for today, all the, all the things, basically all the stuff that you hear that like sucks. That's what I learned. I'm just like, there's no whole, like, all I, all I get to do is just be a nice guy. And like, Jesus didn't die just to make us nice people. He died so that we could actually make an impact on the world around us. And so growing up just believing that I have to be nice isn't a great way to grow up because I turned out not really nice. And then one day I met this guy named Elisha. So I'm actually going to bring both of them into the story. It's kind of funny. And so uh, Elisha had prayed for this guy named Tyler and had healed his foot. Well, Jesus healed his foot, but and then Elisha spent the whole time like explaining this to me, and I was like, that can't be real. None of that. Mm-mm. Holy Spirit, nope, not for today. So then I meet with him at Starbucks. He speaks in tongues. I translate the tongues. Then he prays over me in a McDonald's and says, as much anointing as I receive, give to this man. And I used to work at Family Christian on the south side. I think that's a, it's not there anymore. It's kind of sad. It breaks my heart. The manager is actually uh, the manager of the Barnes & Noble in the Greenwood Park Mall now. And before the place was dead... And now that he's the manager there, it's the busiest I have seen it in the past like five years. And it says something about what you carry in the kingdom of God on you when you can go from one business to another and still have the same amount of traffic. So sorry, that was a weird tangent. But it's like, as much annoying as I receive, give to this man. And so then it's like 10 o'clock at night and I have a key to this family Christian store. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I feel like I should just go pray over, over the books of the store. And so I just like go and pray for like the next day. And the next thing I know, I'm like walking in the middle and I'm like speaking in tongues. And I've never done this before in my life. And it's like I'm watching myself speak in tongues. I'm like, oh, okay, this is like my new normal. So all that to say like the Holy Spirit is a new normal that like I've kind of like raised my frequency to. And so Rick is telling me this is kingdom life. This is all about Holy Spirit. This is all about these things. And, and so like for two weeks, I procrastinated. It's great. Like I'm like, and I do it in my job and it's not a good habit and I need to break it. And procrastination is a terrible skill that I have. And so last night, I'm just like trying to be like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read my Bible. Like that's, that's where I need to start. Like, okay, and I'm trying to read. And I'm just like, I'm so tired. Like, I don't wanna, I was, and I was like really like, I got like a bunch of versions on my bed and I got my notes and I'm just like, nothing. Like, like radio silence. I was like, Lord, are you still there? But I felt the Holy Spirit say, go to sleep. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll go to sleep. And then I prayed the famous Rick prayer of just like, Holy Spirit, I give you access, whatever's in my heart, switch it around, uncross the wires, put in what you want, take out what you don't want. And so I just was kind of like, okay, I I know what to do. And so I woke up and I had read this passage before I went to bed. And then I woke up and was like, okay, I really feel like this is what the Lord has to say. And I actually was almost brought to tears when I was reading it the first time. And so it's out of 2 Corinthians um, 
um, 3, and it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And I was like, oh, cool, God of all comfort. Um, and, and then it just it continues on, and it says, Who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort, too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And I was like, Lord, that's this church. Like, you guys have faced hardship. You guys have faced trial. You guys have faced a lot of stuff. But you're Mount Comfort, and I don't think that's an accident. And I think that God has specifically appointed the time and place for the recognition of the identity of we are Mount Comfort. Like we share in the sufferings and we bear the burdens of one another so that we can bring and be those people of comfort. And so I was like pressing into this. And so um, for those of you that know me, they also know that I don't like to wake up early. Like I do not. And I worked at Rural King and I worked from like, I had to get up before 5 a.m. And so for those of you that have actually like had real jobs, that's not anything to you. But to me, I'm like, ah, and then I had to kill, mount, kill mice for like that time. That was a rural king. Don't ever work there if you guys ever want to. I knew some people that did that were just trying to make a living. And I was like, actually, I made two guys quit. I asked them, it's like, it's, you have to get up early. They're retired and they get up early. They go to work and they drive a forklift. And I just looked at them one day and I said, Tom, Chuck, why are you here? What are you doing? You literally do this every day and you hate your job. You're retired. Why? And they just said because they enjoyed it. And I was like, at some point that doesn't make sense. So that's a suffering that I've shared and that I don't want to share in anymore. But see, that was a good segue back. My brain is like zero to 60 all the time. I got to slow it down. But I wanted to specifically focus on like to be a person of comfort. What's the motivation? Like, how do we become people of a comfort? Like, we're, we're known by all of these things that call that we're, we're Christians. There's like Christian marriage, Christian music, Christian this, Christian that. And I'm like, what? At some point, Christians started to become an adjective and ce- ceased to be a noun. That, that was who you are. It started to describe things. And it was like, you're never supposed to be described by that. Because if you are a loving Christian, that's kind of an oxymoron. You should just be a Christian. Or you should just be loving because you're never supposed to be a loving Christian. You're never supposed to be a kind Christian. You have to add an adjective to the adjective that's describing you. That doesn't work because it just contradicts itself because at no point was Jesus called a loving Jesus or a Christian Jesus. He was just Jesus. And so when we're created to become like Christ, we're created to be these people of comfort and sharing in his sufferings, we end up with an attitude and a path that puts us on the same thing that he did. And so we share in his sufferings and I have like a lot of, oh, I just did it to the mic. A lot of verses kind of highlighted, but in John, uh, me, Clay, and Elisha, we have talks like all the time. We kind of talk about the same kind of things together, but there's this one thing that Putty Putman used to, to, to talk about all the time, and it's in John 17. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. In them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Like we see a kind of a repetition of words in 2 Corinthians as we see the same thing of Jesus as he's praying. And one thing that really baffles me is that Paul spent three years in the desert being taught by Jesus. Like it just kind of blows my mind. Just like, him and Jesus, or him and the Spirit, however you want to call it. It was just like three years of that. And I was like, I understand why you repeat a lot of words now. And so if Jesus is repeating one and Paul is repeating the word comfort, there's something to that oneness with Jesus and the oneness that comes with Jesus and the Father that allows us to have a oneness with the attitude and place of comfort. But you also have suffering being repeated in the passage as well. And so there's a weird thing that happens when something is eternal, because eternal means forever. Right? I was like, some of you just kind of nod, and I feel like I'm going like really fast. I'm like, I'm trying to put on the brakes, and I'm just like really excited. So, Jesus is the God man. You have all these other names for him. And so, Jesus is eternal and human at the same time. And so, he didn't fake his suffering, he didn't fake 
anything that happened to him. But at the moment that he was crucified on the cross, we killed an eternal yet finite being, which means that he's a forever but finished being because a human does have a lifespan. And so at the moment of his death, something happens. The implications of his blood continue on forever because if his blood was shed for us forever, it's still continuing to this day. And so we can share in the sufferings and share in the blood and have that blood transfusion into our hearts to become that person of comfort. We can access, basically, what it means to have the lifeblood of God in us. And so in Ezekiel, this is a fun passage. Rick's taught me a lot about the heart. Uh, It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He quickens our hearts to lives. And there's this example that Putty gives in a recent message, and it's really profound. It says that you have two seats in your life. And in one seat, you have your mind and you have your heart. And from birth, without Christ, we're trained to let the mind guide everything. We're trained to make decisions. We're trained to seek wisdom. We're trained to seek knowledge. We're we're trained to, to seek training. You have apprenticeships. You have internships. You have all of these things. And everything's about the mind. So I'm also like a huge nerd and I like books. I also like confrontational books because that's just who I am. And so there's a renowned atheist known as Sam Harris who hates religions, like all of them. He thinks they're all stupid. And so I was like, okay, well, you've got a podcast. Okay. Oh, you've got one chapter of your whole book, of of a book that you wrote on there that just kind of bashes religion. I was like, I'm going to listen to that while I mow the lawn. That's what I did yesterday, by the way. So I listened to this, and it was funny because he's describing Christianity, and the thing that he's describing, I don't agree with either. I think it's ludicrous. I'm like, that's not the Christianity that I know. Like, what are you describing to me right now? Like, that's, it's just he kind of has a warped perception. But in his little spiel that he's going on and on about, he says, he says this phrase, and I think it's also ludicrous, says that the mind is the only thing that we have. And I was like, what? And to me, that's actually kind of sad because it says that he has no hope. Like for him, it's like his mind is it and that's it. And I'm like, and then uh, today we were actually in the car. This brings to mind, um, Elisha asked, like we were kind of going back and forth with each other. And he said, who is John Stevens? Is it your, your mind? Is it your, is it your heart, like your inner person? Or is it your flesh? And I was like, oh. Well, I I think that it's both. Like, it it can't be one or the other. And so, when God puts that heart within us, we actually receive a new identity. We receive that new uh, placehood with him. And so, and uh, words are hard, guys. Like, I'm serious. And, like, some of you are staring at me, and they're like, there's no laughter. And then, like, it's real quiet. And I'm just like... Sometimes I forget to breathe, and sometimes he forgets to breathe, and so sometimes we'll be both in a room, and it's like dead quiet, and we're like, <gasps> and like, and, and my fiance had never experienced that, by the way, and then one day I did it, and she was like, what are you doing? What was that sigh? And I was like, oh, I just forgot to breathe, babe. I wasn't trying to be, comp-. and so now you see why I also bring up a lot of the confrontations in the relationship, because it's like, oh, man. And so uh, in Second Corinthians, again, so this is like a really good book. Uh, it says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirits in our hearts as a guarantee. And then my little note thing was like, oh, highlight that. It says down payment. Like the down payment of the thing that he's put in us has not yet been fulfilled. And yet we still have to share in sufferings, but we still share in comfort. So it's like this weird kind of triangle. It's like, okay, do I have to like have a really terrible life in order to like understand who God is and like know what goodness is? And there's like, uh, I used to be in like a a really kind of weird camp of the Bible. And it was like, you can only know the goodness of God because there's bad in the world. And I was like, and, and now looking back, I'm like, what? Like, you know, goodness by goodness. Like, you don't know goodness by comparing it to bad. You don't know comfort by comparing it to suffering. But there's a, there's a tie that goes with it. And so, to be the person of comfort, we have to have our hearts lead. We can't just say the mind is the only thing that we have. And so, this is like, this, I'm just going to use like the millennial, like, end of the day, like, metaphor. And so, how many of you have like a smartphone? 
or like, who remembers like Windows 95? Sadly. Right? Okay. Who remembers Windows Vista? Right? Yeah. So that was a terrible operating system. And then XP comes after that, right? Okay. So like XP was like the gold standard of Windows. And then you have Vista right before it. And it's like, okay, well, that kind of stinks. And so for us as humans, what we have is we have this operating system inside of us. And this operating system doesn't really work when it starts out right away. It's like Windows Vista. It doesn't really load up on things. And just kind of like you start going, and you're like, eh. And like you just kind of like, am I, what was it you said earlier? You're like, did you, did like, did operation cease or something? He's like making a joke at me. And I was like, oh yeah, the operation doesn't fully work because we haven't had our system upgraded. Our operating system is messed up. It's got a virus. It's got something within it that doesn't connect. And so when we receive the salvation from Jesus, we get an upgrade. Or for those of us that have iPhones, it's that over-the-air update that's like, oh, iOS 12, great. Like, and I think it's one of the best ones out there, but that's just me, I'm an Apple nerd. And so we get this upgrade, and then all of a sudden things start working better. Things start going on and on and working in the, in the system how it should. But looking at the operating system, if you continue to use it in the same way that you used the terrible one before, what's going to happen? For the person that has a pornography addiction, and they can upgrade their system, and they continue looking at porn, the history is still there, right? And that's a, that's a really graphic kind of a example, but the thing happens. You have people do that all the time. And so you have to put in place, or you have the person that has a shopping addiction. It's like, not only do they have Amazon, they've got Target, they've got Walmart, they've got all of these things, and you're like, why do you need the app? Just go to the website, it's way easier, you can save your password. But they have all these things on there, and the history continues. So until you clear the history, you don't have the proper function of your operating system because it gets clogged with all of these other things. And so that's why we have Romans 12 too. Be constantly transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind has to be constantly refreshed. It's clearing the cache, clearing the memory, literally, of the system. And so why can God look at us and say, you know, I has cast your sin as far as the east is from the west and I won't remember it anymore. He's cleared his memory of what happened in the old operating system because he's already given us a new one through Jesus Christ. And so in doing that, in, we have to understand that he doesn't say that about the heart. He says in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. For those of you that are Christians, your heart is not deceitful above all else because he changed it. He did open heart surgery. That's a phrase you like to use, and I love it. He literally was like, okay, no. And here's the thing. God is a higher dimensional being than we are. He exists on a plane that we can't see. So why are we so shocked and amazed when people have their legs grow out and are healed, or people's backs are healed, or they stop coughing, and we pray for them, or you see like a hand grow, when the greatest miracle of all is not seen on a plane that any of us can see, and it's God literally takes the disease of sin and goes, nope, that's mine. I paid for that. You don't get that back. That's what he does. And so we have to let our hearts lead because our hearts now get to like do, uh, man, I, I want to say it. Okay, so I grew up, and it was like, they called it Chinese fire drill. And it was just like, you get out of the car, and you're like, okay, so you're switching, and then you're like, okay, now you're in the seat. So like our mind is here, and the heart is here, but we need to be like, nope. And I'm running in front of the car, which is what you're totally not supposed to do. I learned that later on. And so you're, let your mind be here and your heart be in this seat. Because when your heart is guiding, you can walk into a room and know who's safe and who's not. At the Vineyard, we get a lot of uh, Southside, we get a lot of rough people. Like uh, Pastor Jim loves to ride Harleys. And so a lot of the biker crowd comes. And so growing up as a Christian, I would go, oh, I can't trust that guy. He's got a leather vest. Now, one of my best friends likes to wear leather vests, and it's cool. I'm pointing you out, dude. I'm just giving you crap. It's good. But, you see, like, like, imagine walking into, like, your church, and there's a guy, leather vest, cut-off shirt, tattoos everywhere, bald head, no offense, and then, like, the really long beard, and he's just, like, he's got some chew in his mouth, and he's like, hmm, 
But when, and so your mind's like, mm, I don't know. You don't fit in my paradigm. I don't like that. And you're just like, mm, nah. but when your heart's online, you can look at him and say, oh, okay, I see the Jesus inside of you. And the Jesus inside of him connects with the Jesus inside of you. And you can share in each other's sufferings and you can share in each other's comfort because it's bearing one another's burdens in love. And so it's letting our hearts take the lead, letting our hearts lead us down, a path, down the path of righteousness. David doesn't say, I've hid your words in my head that I may not sin against God. He says, I've hid your words in my heart that I might not sin against God. And so then the second thing, as I was processing through this and realizing it, I said that we have to recognize the gravity of everything we do. Recently, I got to give announcements at the vineyard, and, and one of the things that Jim loves to say is giving is an act of worship. And so... Like, growing up, I was like, okay, well, it's the time that we ask people for money now. Great. People are going to leave. Like, growing, like eight-year-old kid, and I'm thinking that. You know, and, and it was like, why do I think that? And, and I actually had to tell people, like, this is the time to give. And then I, 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 actually, I was praying about it because prayer is, like, the best thing you can do. I know this is, like, a weird tangent, but, like, when you don't know what to do, just stop. Just take 10 seconds and be like, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? Because I don't know. I do that in my work when I work at the vineyard. I'll pray and be like, Jesus, what colors do you want to use? He wants to be intrinsically involved in everything we do. He wouldn't give us a new heart if he didn't. And so I'm telling these people, like, you have to tithe, but how do I tell, how do I tell them giving is actually worshiping? Giving is a good thing. And I said, for those of us that call ourselves Christians, we're called to give the first 10% of our income to Jesus, our first and our best to him, because it gives him honor when we give back to him what he's already given us. And I've started to use that phrase, give back what he's already given us. We do that in worship, like by expressing what's going on in here. Funny story about worship. I know this is like probably like zero to 60 for a lot of people, but we have a Spanish church that meets in our, in our building and we have a Chin church and both of them have distinct styles of worship. And I really love this song called Reckless Love. You know, like the, oh, the overwhelming never ending. Like, I'm just like, yes, Lord, I'm saved again. And, and like, I, I don't believe I mean, yeah, anyway, that was like, a, I'm like, I'm not going to go down that trail. There it is mine. Like, come back. Okay. So I was like, they're singing this song, but the song, so I'm a musician. You'll like this. Okay. The song is in six, eight, which means you count on one, two, three, four, five, six, like as a waltz. And they're doing it in four, four, which is one, two, three, four. And I'm just over here. And so my musical, and I taught music for a year at this place. And I'm just like, okay. And I'm just like, and so, and it's hard because my heart has to be online to worship. And so eventually, somehow, I start singing the words. I'm like, okay, I'm in this now. And then I end up like, like this on the ground, just weeping and waiting on the Holy Spirit because I'm so overwhelmed because they're singing in Spanish, they're singing in English, and they're singing in tongues. It's, it's heaven. It may not be in the right tempo, but right now I don't care. And this Spanish grandma puts her hand on my shoulder and she says, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And I was like... And then the Holy Spirit ever so gently just whispers, you don't have to know what's going on in the room to worship. You don't. There is no point for you as a Christian with a new heart to say, I have to have this style of worship for what I want to do. It has to be this way for how I want it to be. Because as a Christian, worship happens naturally when Jesus is presented truthfully. Because the goal of worship, and as a worship leader, I don't care about the person like this in the back of the row going like this at the end of the set. You can, you can manipulate the emotions of the room by what you do in the song. You absolutely can, because it's physics. The way that a guitar is strung, the way the force of what a drum is hit with, the tonality of things, everything that happens in music happens to us and through us. And so what happens is as a worship leader, you step out of the way and you present Jesus, and that's your one job. And so as you present Jesus, you say, okay, this is who you are, and that's it. And the natural response when Jesus is presented in his fullness is this, because you don't have to know what's going on to worship. You have to know what's going on to praise, because to give someone praise, you have to know their accomplishments. You have to give them credit where credit's due. But worship is that overflow that turns into that. And so out of the overflow of the heart, we'll worship. 
but we have to understand the gravity of everything that we do. And so as a worship leader, that's the gravity of what I do. My, the gravity is I present Jesus. And so the gravity for us as Christians is how are we presenting Jesus? Like, we're his representatives. Uh, in first, so, so my fiance is awesome. She's got little tabby things. And she was, I was like, babe, do you have these? I forgot to do this. I need to like, I don't want to turn the whole time. And she's like, I have these in my drawer. And I was like, yes. So it's like, she's the planner in the relationship. I'm kind of the spontaneous one that'll go down rabbit trails as you guys are finding out. So in first Peter, oh man. Okay. I like you tabs, but now you're not working for me. We're going to have to have a talk. So in first Peter 2.9, and most of you will know this is, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're a royal priesthood. And so as we look at what the term priest meant, and I'm sure some of you probably have a lot more knowledge than me, this is what I looked up in a definition, is that, and I was like, oh, that really makes sense. And it was like, minister. We have the opportunity to minister, not only to the heart of God, and minister is kind of like a word that I grew up with. I was like, I don't really understand this. And so we're, we're, we're giving care is, I think, the best way that I can use the word minister in, in, a, in a really kind of a dumbed down, probably wrong definition. But we're giving care to the heart of God so much that we're taking a seat back from actually our point of day of saying, I need to go do this, 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 this on my to-do list. And we're saying, okay, I'm going to sit here for 10 minutes and give you worship and give you prayer and give you honor and give you praise. But we also have that responsibility for other, other people, not just other Christians. If we're a royal priesthood, we carry the authority of the one who came with the kingdom of heaven to administer the care to everyone. We have the mantle. We have the rest of, like, the Holy Spirit didn't just rest on Jesus and then randomly fly back up into heaven like after the baptism happened. Like, it doesn't say the heaven, you know, shut. It was like, you know, God's like, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's how I sometimes think God speaks. A lot of the times he sounds like Elisha. And it's kind of funny because I just like, he'll say things through the Holy Spirit that I'm just like, oh, I'm convicted of that again. And so he's like, he says that over his son and Jesus is there and the Holy Spirit comes down and then he just moves forward. He doesn't go back up. He doesn't go down. He goes forward. He doesn't go back. He goes forward. And so for us as royal representatives, royal priesthood, we have to constantly move forward in the midst of the suffering because we have the comfort of Jesus around us. And so in 2 Corinthians, see, coming back to that book, guys, like, where was like rocking my mind? And it's like 11 o'clock at night, and I'm like, I'm really tired. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Once again, reinforcing the point of you have a new heart. All this is from God, who through Christ, oh, I just spit, that was weird, who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We have a gravity to everything that we say and do. Like James says, the power of life is in, or the, the power of life and death is in the tongue. And so you're talking about passive aggressivism. I'm over here in sarcasm with me and me and Elisha, and I'm just like over here, like, oh man. I really need to work on that. One time I was driving, so how many of you like roundabouts? <laughs> Every hand should just be down because it's like nobody knows how to drive on a roundabout. I think we've all experienced this. It's like, you know, either the person just stops, which I've had happen, which I don't understand. I get a lot of road rage too, and I need to work on that, and I just publicly confess, and, I, and I'm working on it. But the people, they stop, or they're like zooming through, and you're like, whoa, buddy, put on the brakes. Like, it's a yield sign, and so that kind of contradicts, like, are you supposed to stop? Like, nobody knows. And so... There's a new one in Greenwood now that I think people are slowly getting used to, although I did get honked at today by someone because I was in the right lane to keep going straight and they wanted to turn and the turn lane was right next to me and I was like, okay, bless them, God. Like, whoo, that was hard. And, and, but one time, I've had a lot of trouble on roundabouts, okay? There's one, there's one like in, a, in kind of a back road and 
And I was going, and I was driving through the road, and this person is going so slow. Like, slow as molasses, y'all. Like, you got a car, your car has more of an engine than mine does right now. Like, what are you doing? And they're just not going, and so what do I do, right? And I'm lucky I don't have like the little like Christian fish like on the back of there, like Jesus wins or something like that. Like no, no marking so they don't know. And I'm just like, Ugh! and I just like gun it. And I'm just like gone, like past them. Cause there's like a little two lane and then transforms into one. And I was like, I'm not gonna be behind this guy for the next mile. I'm just like fury of rage at the stupidest of things. And then the Holy Spirit, ever so gently, ever so gently, Jesus is very gentle with us because we're like babies. He's got to hold us because we're kind of like stupid babies and like don't know what they're doing. Like my nephew, my, no, 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 this is real. So I just, I just had a niece. Uh, my sister just had her second child and my nephew was a handful. He, uh, he reminds my mother a lot of me growing up and I'm like, why mom? And then I interact with him and I'm like, that's why mom, okay. And my niece is like, I'm trying to hold her and it's not working out like at all. She's like, and I'm like, what to do and her dress is messed up and it's easter and i'm like i don't want to drop this thing but it's just kind of like ah. and then i have to hand her over to kelly and instantly it's just like stops and i was like great great I'm like i'll be the fun one we can, they can go play in the yard and fall in the dirt and stuff but that's what we're like with god a lot of the times he has to be super gentle with us and hold us in the right way to where we just kind of chill and so when we feel those interactions and those whispers, like how I did in the car while driving past this guy, he just goes, what if they knew you were a Christian? And I was just like, okay, like, like I'm done. Like, I was like, Lord, I'm sorry. Like, and it's those moments that he's just kind of like, hey, remember who I've made you to be? And you have to be like, oh, wow, that is who you made me to be. You made me to be a person of comfort. Like, I was suffering going behind this guy, and you can share in that suffering with me, that's okay. But I wanna be a person of comfort to where, what is going on with the person? Why are they going that slow? Are they a new driver? Are they recuperating just now from an injury where they don't fully have access to their mobility? It's being aware of the other person and not just being aware of ourselves. And that happens when we constantly renew our minds and update the system. And so Bill Johnson said it best, we represent Christ on earth. That's the word represent. He just kind of puts a hyphen in it. We are to represent Christ on earth. So how are we doing that? What, where's the gravity of everything that we're holding dear? And so the other point about gra the gravity of what we uh, deal with comes from a few verses, but uh, starts in Romans. And like the stuff that you guys are singing, I was like, I highlighted a verse like that. Yay! Like, I was like, Lord, you are in this. And, and I'm like, wait, yeah, of course he's in this. Like, he's God. He's in all things. It says that in the Bible. I'm like, well, wake up, John. Get it, dude. Because he says, for, you, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And in 2 Corinthians, see, back to that book. There we go. It's good. I need to read this book fully. It says, so, <laughs> so 2 Corinthians 5.10, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so this is a, this is a hard thing because it's like, okay, what have we done in our bodies? Like, will we receive the just payment? And the interesting part of this, the Lord just kind of brought that to mind. I'm probably going to butcher this passage. I think it's in John 3. I knew I was going to surf. Dang it. In John 3. No, John 5. John 5. And I knew this stuck out to me the other day. It says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So, it's interesting that Jesus says, the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. But yet we have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for all we've done and receive to us what is due in our bodies, whether good or evil. Okay, well, systematically, I'm going to try to hurry it up as well. Systematically, what we realize is that if all judgment has been given to the Son and Jesus was like, oh, okay, here's the cross. 
then Brennan Manning says it best, that at the judgment seat of Christ, we're not going to have to sit there and God play a DVD back of all the crap we've ever done. It's going to be Jesus looking at us in the face and saying, hey, Kelly, did you know that I loved you? Hey, Elisha, did you know that I loved you? And recognizing, like, hey, Rick, did you know that I loved you? And asking us that question and saying, did you know that I loved you? Did you know what I did? And when we recognize that all judgment has been passed through Jesus, that we receive back to us what is due, whether good or evil in our bodies, Jesus has already paid for. So as Christians, we don't face, and I, and I had a theology growing up, I was taught this, that I might go to hell. That even though I had, had Jesus, I still might go to hell. Which doesn't really make sense when you read the Bible. And it was like a 40-week sermon on the kingdom. And I'm like, I don't think you get the kingdom now, dude. Like, I just don't, I don't think he's right. Like, that's totally wrong. Because I'm his child. I've been adopted. My debt is paid. I'm cleared. Like, I'm good. And so, what I have to recognize is, am I doing things in the love of God? Because if I'm doing things in the love of God, I'm not doing things that are evil. I'm doing things that are good. And so the recompense that I get paid will be, therefore, things that I can give back to Jesus and say, here's a crown that I just cast at your feet. The reward that we get is Jesus. And when we do things out of that heart of love, we're being people of comfort. We're being people of suffering. Because sometimes you have to suffer in love because the thing is, it's not about you. And I've learned that full well. There's so many times that I'm like, I'm going to make this decision. And it's like, did I take into account the other person? Did I take into account Jesus when I said that to the person or acted the way I did driving past them in the roundabout or grumbled because the person in front of me, the, you know, the mom with the kid who's whining when the cart and she's all, all these groceries and she's pulling out coupons and food stamps and all these things. And I'm grumbling because I have my little can of milk and I can't get through. It's like, just go to the self-checkout line, dude. Like, at what point do we stop considering that not only does Jesus love us and Jesus exists inside of us, but Jesus died for the other person? Like, he truly cares about people. Like, he loves us so much. And I just love that. Like, God will say at the end of days, Jesus will look at us in the face and say, did you know that I loved you? Brennan Manning also said this, and I really love this quote. It says, did you know that the God of the universe loves you so much that he thinks you're to die for? Or that, no, 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 sorry. The God of the universe loves you so much that he'd rather die than be without you. That's what it was. He'd rather die than be without you. Literally. And so what we have to do is, did what we say, did what we do, did what we think... <coughs> Do we act on all of those things? Do we do it out of God's love? And if we didn't, we need to repent and reevaluate. We need to change our mind. That's what repentance is. It's the renewing of the mind. And the only way that we can renew is by constantly understanding like, who Jesus is and figuring out, oh, this is who you are. This is who I am. Not that we're lesser of people, but understanding the greatness of who he is. And there's this thing that's called awe in Scripture that people are kind of like somewhat forgetting. And I say people, and a lot of the times it's me. I forget the awe of God. I forget to walk out in nature. I mean, we're, we're so consumed. Like, I don't have Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter anymore. And it's been the most freeing journey of everything. I still have YouTube, so I kind of get lost on that sometimes. But, like, we were sitting at a restaurant the other day, and I was facing a window, and we're talking and, and things, and we're waiting for an order, and she's on her phone, and she's kind of, Going, going and, and like you know, texting some people that we just had some people that needed contact. And I'm sitting there, my phone's in my pocket, and I'm looking out the window, watching the wind rustle through the trees. And then I look around at everyone around me, and everyone's on their phone. And I'm like, huh? We forget. We forget the awe of God. We forget that He created the stars, He created the infinite universe that exists inside of ourselves to where they're. Or, it, there can be a cell that can be, or not a cell, it's called a quark. So I'm also like, okay, I said I was a huge nerd. You're going to have to go with it. So there's this thing called a quark. It's like smaller than an atom, and it can be cut in half and exist simultaneously in New York and L.A. Man, I can't exist simultaneously, and I need to lose some weight. 
at the same time. And so you have these two distinct things of the same thing existing simultaneously yet set apart and cut apart. Think about the Spirit of God. He lives in you, lives in you, lives in you, lives in all, every one of us. But yet, he's still one, even as we are one. He has made us one to share in comfort, to share in suffering, to share in his heart. And so the last thing that I recognized about being a person of comfort is that we need to have a love and respect for God. So Rick does premarital counseling, and and, uh, I'm sure one of the books that we'll probably have to read is Love and Respect by, I don't know how to say his last name, but I'm just going to call him Emerson, Dr. E. And I haven't read the book. Like, I probably should. I probably should do that before I'm given the task to it, but Jesus deserves our unconditional love and respect. Like, unconditional love. Like, not like, Jesus, you bless me in this, and then I'm going to love you. Or, Jesus, present yourself to this way in me, and then I'll give you the respect that I think you deserve. Because at no point is that a possibility. It's unconditional love and unconditional respect because that's what he gives us. If he's willing to die for us, he sees the value in us. And if something is a value, you have respect for it. You don't treat it like it's dirt. Like, I love my car. It's a brand new car. I had a, so there's this street. I have a lot of car stories. Wow. I should have had the moment of realization. I'm sorry, Lord. I really need to get out of my car. So I had a car like almost like four years ago, and it was a 2002 Chevy Malibu. And I was on my way to my friend's house, and I'm singing a Christmas song, and I'm like really in the spirit, and I'm like turning, and it's a yellow. It's a yellow with an arrow. And I'm like, oh, I still got time. I can do it. Like, you know, I grew up watching The Incredibles. He's like, I still got time. And like, I say that to myself still. I'll take like risky turns, be like, I got time, and then I'll go for it. And it's like, probably not a good idea. I don't know when anyone else is in the car, but I did that. And I got T-boned, like hardcore T-boned. But it was like perfectly between the wheels. So for three months, I still drove that car. And people would give me the weirdest of looks. They're like, the heck is that? And I just be like, hey. And it was just like, and like it was duct tape. It was, it was dumb. But for three months, it still ran. So I was going to drive it. Like, I don't have the money to go. It was my fault, apparently. Anyway, a little bitter. <laughs> just kidding. It was my fault. I, it doesn't make, and like looking back, like it doesn't make, don't turn through a yellow. I'm like, no. That person wasn't going to stop anyway. Still, okay, maybe I'm a little bitter. But now I have a 2013 Hyundai Elantra that I got at a used lot. And I was like, really nice, and I want to take care of it. I, it's a prized possession. I have respect for my car. Apparently, birds do not. <laughs> Because, and like, like I, for Christmas, so you know you're becoming an adult when you ask for car wash booklets for Christmas. And like, and socks. And I'm like, at what point did I lose my childhood? And then I go and get like a Spider-Man onesie and I'm good. But I used to do that in college. I can't anymore because it doesn't fit. But I actually threw it away. It was ripping. I have a hoodie now. I'm, I'm satisfied. But, and so... I'm like, I, I, and I go and get this, and I got a car wash, right? I got one yesterday, and I, and I like, my car's looking clean, it's looking good, mm, it's nice, like, parking under a tree, okay, there's a little bit of those little whirly things, it's like, okay, you can get off there now, and so then I park at my house, and my house has the trees that just are, like, stupid, they just, like, kind of leak berries all the time, and that was winter, and now it's just kind of flowers, but apparently, now there's birds, because they were all gone in the winter, and now they're back. And I was like, hmm, I bet when I park it at my house, it's going to get some bird crap on it. And I walk outside, and I look at my car, and I'm like, oh, it looks good, looks good. Go to the back. Oh, dang it. <laughs> just like, I just got this washed, and I only got like three of those things left. Like, and it, it's really expensive to get your car washed. Like, it's dumb. Like, it's water. But I have respect for my car. And so I'm thinking, okay, how long can I hold out until I have to go and get it clean again. How long do I have to wait? Like, it gets longer every time. I'm like, okay, because I just cleaned it out and it actually runs a little better now because you clean the underside, it runs better. I'm like, oh, wow, who'd have thought? But we do that too. 
we don't have enough respect for ourselves. We think, how long can I go? How long can I go without cleaning up? How long can I go without coming back to God? How long can I go without repenting? How long can I go without confession? And we eventually reach this point where God's over there and we're over here. And God is looking at us, pleading with us, come back to me. Come into my arms. Come to who I am. Come rest in me. Come be washed by my blood. But we don't have enough respect for ourselves to do that. Because it's not arrogance to be washed by the blood of Jesus. It's arrogance to think that you don't need it. And arrogance looks like confidence. Or confidence looks like arrogance to those who don't know what confidence is. But it's confidence that the blood of Christ is sufficient to cleanse everything. That allows us to come freely and clean up and to, and to be washed and kept by who Jesus is. And so the last thing I want to I wanna close with a couple of things just about the character of Jesus. Just reminding ourselves, because in, in his humanity, he had suffering. In his humanity, he was homeless. He was from a town where they didn't respect him. They kicked him out. He worked a dead-end job for 30 years before he decided to do ministry. Like, carpentry is hard. Mason work is hard. He had calloused hands. Isaiah says he wasn't attractive. So there was no glory or majesty for us to be drawn to him. He was an average guy. I'm sure there was a beauty in Jesus that emanates from the inside. And when beauty emanates from the inside, you become beautiful on the outside. Smiles are the most contagious thing. And that's what makes people beautiful. When you see the joy, when you see the life, when you see the love. So Jesus looked like everybody else. And he had nothing. There was no room for him in the inn. There was no room for him in towns that he would go to. People had to, to make space for Jesus. And so it's making space for Jesus now in our hearts. And out of Revelation, which is a really fun book, I have a story about that afterward that's kind of funny. It says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, we're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress with the fury of the wrath of the God of the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh is a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's Jesus. He's no longer the homeless Jewish man who has no respect from anybody. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the man glorified, exalted, his eyes are like a flame of fire. When John sees him, he throws himself down and says, Lord, I'm not worthy. And he goes, John, hey, do you remember that I loved you? And it's the same smile we shared in with Christ and the sufferings we share in now are only going to be minor wounds on the battlefield. And so the last thing, Jesus is... The war has happened, everything is at the end of, end of days. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The old has passed away, the new has come. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their, as, as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Amen. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty... I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
how can he be making something and say it's done? Unless there's something more about the blood. Unless there's something more about the cross that we still have layers to unveil. But the old has passed away, the new has come. Jesus has given us the ability to be a people of comfort and suffering. People who can be both and, walking in pain. But I was expecting some physical healing tonight. I feel like the Lord wants to still do some of that. So if you guys have any like physical things that you want prayer for, I got Elisha with me, I got Kelly with me, and we'd just love to pray for you guys. But I just kind of want to pray a prayer of blessing over you guys just for the Lord to kind of do some heart work because I feel like there's some heart surgeries going on that you're gonna, the Lord is kind of like doing within you that I can't really talk about. So Jesus, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your sweet, sweet presence, God. Thank you for your blood that you love us, that you would rather die than be without us. God, we ask for your spirit to come right now in this place, that you would fill us afresh once again. You would fill us with the heart for people to see them as they truly are, to see them as they truly need your love, God, even those who are in suffering and don't fully see you, God. Would you show them your might? Would you show them your majesty? And Jesus, we repent together of any way that we unveil your presence. Would you give them encouragement. I feel like that's the word. Just would you encourage them in their hearts to step into what you have for them, God. They are people of authority. They are a royal priesthood who is meant to care for others. I just bless you guys in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes. 